Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today is Mitch Light, who is the college football editor at The Athletic. The Vandy Sports Podcast is presented by Jody Jones, DDS, trusted for his creative design and committed to both the function and aesthetics of your smile. Jody Jones provides a range of sought-after general and cosmetic dentistry services at his practice in Nashville. Jody has earned the title of number one in Nashville for cosmetic dentistry and provides a unique environment for patients who want his famous Hollywood smile or other services. Patients enjoy getting services from Dr. Jones and his attentive team in a spa-like atmosphere. Dr. Jones has worked with many athletes, movie stars, and celebrities over the years and is dedicated to providing first-rate service to all of his patients. Jody never compromises quality so patients can be confident they will always receive the highest level of care. Special thanks to Jody for being the title sponsor of this season. Today's news is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in any type of accident, please call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. G1 Baseball has released its top 150 college prospects for the 2021 MLB Draft. Vanderbilt's Kumar Rocker is number one, Jack Leiter number two, Hugh Fisher at 34, and Isaiah Thomas at 89. The guest line presented to you by Bolin Branch, started by Vanderbilt graduates Scott and Missy Tannen. I had no clue how comfortable Bolin Branch sheets could be until I got some. They are fair trade certified, meaning they are made under safe conditions by men and women treated and paid fairly. Try them free for a month. You can return them, but you won't want to. Once you get the sheets, try the mattress. That was voted the best mattress of 2018. Go to BolinBranch.com. That's spelled B-O-L-L. Enter the promo code Vandy and get $50 off your first set of sheets. Mitch Light joins us now. Mitch has been one of the originals, I believe, on the show as we start our sixth season this month. Mitch, of course, is a college football editor at The Athletic. Mitch, thanks for joining us today. Uh, no problem, Chris. And, I, you know, the the, uh, the pay scale has remained the same. Yes, it has. Yes. Uh, it, it is. uh <laughs> Your pay has remained the same. Mine might have decreased a little bit with the COVID situation this yeah, year, but yeah. uh, in any case, yeah, so you, you've at least got that on me. So yeah, yeah. Let's talk for a minute before we get into college football. You've got a daughter who is now a sophomore at Vanderbilt. What's that been like on the parent end? Just watching all the stuff with that. Of are we going to have online classes? Are they going to go in person? Just what was that like going through as a parent and as a family, just waiting to see on all those things? Yeah, uh, definitely an interesting summer. Um, you know, uh, it was kind of a roller coaster depending on the day, the month, uh, the week, the month about whether or not you, you know, things were trending upward or, or downward. And, um, you know, Vanderbilt has, I thought, has, has done, a, done a great job. The communication's been great. Um, you know, as, as most people know, listen to this, most Vanderbilt students in typical normal times live on campus. And, you know, she had a great experience living on campus her freshman year. She had her dorm picked out sophomore year and all that stuff. Um, so, but then all this changed and she decided to, they tried to get as many kids off campus as possible so they could, um, you know, have rooms for quarantining and, and single rooms for freshmen and all that stuff. So she's living off campus with a bunch of friends and we really wanted her to live off campus 
because if something happens where they go 100% remote learning that she's, she's quote unquote away at school. She didn't have to come home and live at home. So she's living, uh, interestingly enough, she is at the the building where Athlon Sports, my old job used to be years ago. We, we, we had an office on 25th Avenue, right across from the park. We sold that building and it got knocked down. They put some apartments up. So she's living in those apartments right now off campus. One of her five classes is meeting in person. Um, and she says it's, it's, is as normal as it could be in these times. Um, she is, you know, the, the COVID numbers at Vanderbilt have been good so far. Great. You know, so they've done a really, really good job. Speaking of not normal, this happens to be nine 11, which almost has been an afterthought in the craziness of this year. Where were you when that happened? So yeah, that, obviously remember it. Well, I had just start, not just it was my first year at Athlon, uh, I started there in February of 2001 and happened in September. And it was sort of like, you know, I think it happened well after nine o'clock our time or nine thirty or maybe earlier than that or the news broke. And I just remember, and, you know, I grew up there. I grew up in New Jersey, North Jersey, my kind of a bed, what you call bedroom community. Uh, a lot of people from my small town commuted into New York. My sister lived in Hoboken, still lives in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is right across the the, the um, Hudson River from Manhattan. So I just remember so going to the conference room in Athlon Sports and, and we had some salesmen who were up there on the road. Um, so trying to communicate with them and just it just sort of like surreal, just probably like everyone. Uh, my, my daughter Zoe had just been born. So my wife was home with her. And I remember I went home for lunchtime and we just sat there and you watch the news like everyone else. And um, so, yeah, it was it was I think surreal is just the, the word that I use just looking back, it just, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. I remember I was sitting in my office. I was in higher ed at the time. I had a private office and I was just listening to the radio and hearing it coming in. And of course, nobody knew what was really going on at the time, but that was, I think the most bizarre day of my lifetime. I think that's probably a good way to describe it. I remember, you know, when you have kids, I don't know, you, it sounds corny, but your, your priorities change. And, you know, we had things were – didn't have many worries in the world. You know, things were good. And that had a job I loved, just had a baby girl. And then you'd, something like that happens and you just wake up and you, you don't know what's going to happen for, you know, your safety, the country's safety. Is this how, – how are things going to change? So, yeah, it was just – it was it was strange. And then just watching – being glued to the news – uh, over the next, you know, week probably, and all the stories that came out, and uh, it, one other thing, it, it, it hit home a lot. I think it, w- it probably would have been that Christmas time. So two months later, three months later, went home. My parents live here now. They live in Franklin, but they still lived in the town I grew up in at that time. And seeing ribbons or uh, around trees. Um, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional actually in my, in my hometown of people that, that died. I, I don't think there were a lot, maybe five or six, which, which I'm not trying to diminish that number. There are other towns were hit much harder, but just seeing ribbons around trees, just driving around town. So that was, that was really, that was, that was strange. Yeah, it was just a, an awful time. I think one of the cool things about it was I think sports was part of the thing that helped heal the country a little bit in the coming weeks. It was like the one thing that brought everything back to normal a little bit more. 
Yes. And, you know, uh, you've seen clips if you've been on Twitter today about, you know, George Bush throwing out the, the, the pitch in Yankee Stadium, which was awesome. And the Yankees returning. And you know, I'm a huge Yankee fan in that World Series. They didn't end up winning. But those magical moments against uh, the, the uh, Diamondbacks at Yankee Stadium were, were incredible. Uh, so it's uh, it, I remember the, the, the Vanderbilt game uh, against Ole Miss was postponed to later in the year. And um, I, in fact, for Athlon, I went down to Gainesville for the Tennessee. I did a behind the scenes story with um, college game day on that December, whatever the date might have been, December 1st, the Tennessee-Florida game was postponed from September 11th. Um, and that was a great Tennessee-Florida game. It uh, ended up being Steve Spurrier's last game in Gainesville. So, uh, you know, I, I remember all those college football games that got postponed till, till the end of the year as well. It does not seem like Spurrier's been gone from Florida that long to me. I know. It was interesting because our uh, – have you ever seen the, the guys on SB Nation – did that that hate ass Spurrier thing? Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Oh, it's it's hilarious. So just just Google it. It's basically it's what Spurrier. It's like his alter ego, or like what he'd want to say. Like not that he bites his tongue and doesn't say things. So it's um, it's a uh, it's just a, a parody of you know Spurrier just ripping on every every other school. Just Google it. It's funny. Uh, because long story short, I deal with our South Carolina writer uh, at the Athletic, and he did something a parody of that about. Uh, Mike Bobo, um, the new offensive coordinator at um, at South Carolina, and we were trying to figure out when the hate and ass Spurrier stuff started, and we thought it was at South Carolina, and then that's when I was like, wait, Spurrier left Florida in 2001. There's no way this thing's that old. So, I mean, it was kind of a weird way of agreeing with you. Yes, it doesn't seem like Spurrier's been gone that long. Let's see, they went Spurrier to Zook to Zook. Urban Meyer? Uh, to Muschamp, to Mullen? Is that the progression, or am I missing a yes, coach I in there somewhere? Yes, I believe you're right. Uh, no, uh, no. Be, um, the guy, the former Colorado State coach is at Central Michigan now. Um, after, was after, uh, was after Meyer. Uh, obviously very memorable. Well, they weren't, I mean, I cannot believe I can't remember. I'm getting too old. Oh, um, oh, yes. Good it's because they, they won there the for SC- three years. Um, yeah, they won the SEC East two years Jim in a row. Jim McElwain, yeah. Yeah, they won the SEC East, but everyone kind of knew they weren't very good. So that's the thing, not to get all sidekeeping sidetracked. I, 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 Jeremy Foley did a lot of great things. He's, he was always remembered as you know one of the best athletic directors. I think he did a lot of great stuff financially, marketing and all that stuff. But people don't make enough that he had two. It's hard to screw up hires at Florida, and he hired two coaches or three coaches. That did not that Zook, Muschamp, and McElwain that had to be fired. You know, Urban Meyer and Urban Meyer was a slam dunk. Everyone knew he was going to be a great coach. He'd come off, you know, great did a great job at Bowling Green and in Utah. They basically Florida just had to beat out Notre Dame for his services. And uh so like that I wouldn't call that a great hire. Obviously it was a great hire, but like anyone could have made that hire. So I, Florida's made some bad hires in football. Now I think Dan Mullen. I'm a huge fan. That was that was a great hire, but he didn't hire Dan Mullen. Let's go to college football. Obviously, it was not a great week one. This week gets a little bit more interesting with the ACC playing. What games and storylines between what has happened so far? Maybe what's on the horizon with maybe the Big Ten or wherever you'd like to go. What is it that you found compelling so far about what has happened and what's on the horizon? Well, no games have unfortunately been that compelling. It's been fun to watch them. You know, I watched the 
the uh, Army MTSU game last week and then the, the night game over Saturday, the Navy-BYU Navy game, which was just a, a debacle for Navy. So there really hasn't been any good games or that, that compelling games. This weekend, we start, you know, saw Miami last night uh, beat UAB, but then you get ACC play starting in, in Notre Dame, actually a member of the ACC, hosts Duke and, you know, Clemson's going to Wake Forest, Georgia Tech, Florida State. So it, it, a little bit of normalcy because we have some conference games. Um, but you, you know, I, I'm interested in following closely what's going on with the big 10, obviously, you know, in my job at the athletic, I deal with five college football writers and one of them's in the pac 12 and one of them's in the big 10. And, you know, it looks like there's a little bit of momentum now for the big 10 possibly starting. And, 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 you know, some people say October, I don't believe that maybe after November. Um, so it's just, uh, we, we, most people, I think most rational people, when we saw what was happening over the summer, we kind of said, we'll be happy with any college football. It's going to be a weird season no matter what happens. I don't know if you want to say there's going to be asterisks or certain leagues are going to play. There's going to be injuries. There's going to be guys opting out. So I still have that, stamp, that, that point of view. I'm just glad that we're having some football, and it's going to be weird if some of it's in the spring and the Pac-12 uh, plays in the spring and we have college football from September through March or April. That's really weird. I don't want it to be like that all the time, but I'm just going to enjoy it. Yeah, it's been weird for me, as people know, and as you know, people have listened to the podcast. I've got a nephew who plays at Wyoming. He walked on. He was slated to be a starting receiver this year. It is so weird because what I kept hearing is they were having zero positive COVID tests basically the entire time. Now, I don't know if that changed as it got later into the summer, but to see their season canceled amidst that, and of course they're one of several schools in the conference, which I understand was really bizarre. Do you think there's any chance the Mountain West plays? What have you heard on that? Yeah, I, there's been so much focus on the Power Five schools. I don't know. I, I don't want to even pretend to uh, to speculate because I haven't heard. I, on one hand, I'd say if the other leagues can figure out a way to do it, then the, the Mountain West and the MAC would, would follow, but they don't have the financial resources because this is all coming down to unless there's some vaccine in the next few months. And, but that's, that's another story and that's another process. It comes down to testing and, and all of these, you know, the PAC 12 um, has a deal with that company. I forgot the name of it where they can, you know, test and get immediate results pretty much. They can afford that. Uh, can the Mac schools afford it? I, I don't think so. I, I don't know that to be true. So it comes down to, to, to resources and a lot of these schools simply, especially the power five schools can't afford not to play. Um, we had a story, not that anyone really cares about the University of Washington, who's listening to this, but really interesting story on in the University of Washington's uh, finances um, and, and how big of a part that football plays in that. And, and it's everywhere. It's every Power Five school. And and that, that's the mo- that's one of the motivations. Now, I'm not saying it's all money. I, I These kids want to play. The coaches want to play. I get that. Um, but, you know, uh, most of us know how college athletics works at the Power Five level football brings in the money and supports all these other programs as well. Yeah, and what happens if, say, things go wrong with college football and the season's not finished? Obviously, the money is a big thing, as you mentioned. What do you think happens from there with college basketball and college baseball and some other sports if that happens? Yeah, I mean, I guess your question, if if, that, if football goes off without a hitch, or that's kind of, it's not going to go off without a hitch. If, if football goes off okay, then... I can see a path to basketball and baseball and all that stuff. I guess your question is what happens if we get to mid early October and all hell breaks loose and all these schools are there's huge breakout, uh, uh, you know, virus breakouts and all that stuff. I, I don't know. I mean, it, there seems to be a lot of momentum for college basketball, some non-conference bubbles. 
I think they lost so much money with not playing the NCAA tournament that they'll figure out a way to do that. I, I, I think, and I'm far from an expert in all this, but I think that the testing capabilities are improving rapidly by the, by the week. So I'm confident that there'll be some form of college basketball thanks to improved testing and then college baseball as well. Now college baseball is a different animal. It's not, um, it's the least contact of the sports that the, the major sports and doesn't, you know, obviously there's some schools, everyone depends on ticket revenue and there's some schools in the SEC that depend on a lot of ticket revenue, but playing college baseball with, you know, 10% capacity of crowd isn't that big of a deal. I mean, look at any midweek game at any school, you know, even the LSU's in Mississippi State. There's not 10,000 people in Starkville on a Tuesday game against, uh, you know, Mississippi State. It's not that big of a deal if they cannot play at full capacity or even close to full capacity in college baseball. I'm in the middle of Blue Ribbon stuff and an associate editor there, and so I'm editing stories of teams across the country and I also do a lot of the OVC stories. And so I was on the phone for about an hour with a coach in the OVC. I'll leave this guy anonymous. I don't think anything in this is – uh, it would really matter, but just for the sake of courtesy, I will. And I was talking to this guy yesterday. And he said on their campus it really had not been a big deal in terms of kids on the team testing positive. His thought was that they'd see a season, but he doesn't think anyone's going to start until November 25th or after, which is kind of what we've been hearing between Chris Dortch, who is my boss, and I and some other guys on staff. It seems like the 25th is maybe the earliest start date for college basketball and I think they hope that they can get in games you know from there on yeah that's the same thing and you would with your ties to Chris who and you've talked to coaches you would know more than me on that I'm so much in in college football mode right now Um, and you know the thing too about basketball obviously you got a smaller smaller team you got 13 players you got some you know staff members you basically got a 20 person group it's not like football where there's you know, 85 to 100 players and 20 people, staff, 20 member staffs at least. And so it's just, it's, it's far easier to execute um, than football. Let's talk Fandy for a minute. There's been a number of opt outs. I've been told there have been some more that are not public yet. I think I have an idea of maybe a player or two, but I'm not going to share those until I get confirmation. What's your take on their roster situation, their season now with all those defections on top of everything else? Well, yeah, it's it's obviously it's been a blow and, and um, it's just the position that's been hit the most. You know, it was, was going to be a suspect offensive line to begin with. And then you're hit with all that that hurts. You know, I, I think it's Cole Clemens is the one that really hurts. The other is just the other guys potentially could have started, but just a depth issue, amount of bodies you have. You know, I was explaining, I was on a show in uh, Gainesville, Florida. They were doing a, like an early season preview with teams around the country, uh, teams around the conference. And I, I was saying that under normal circumstances, now expectations weren't going to be high at Vanderbilt. I wasn't saying, not trying to say that, but this had the potential to be an interesting transition year for the offense. Because if you could piece together a semi-decent offensive line or just a normal healthy offensive line, probably going to have a true freshman at quarterback. You could see maybe some with a new offensive coordinator. Again, that was a big part of it because, you know, we've talked a lot about this. I, I'm not one to criticize X's and O's that much because I never played college football. I, I understand the game to a degree, but there's so much involved. I think we can all agree that, you know, uh, I, you know, I was a big Andy Ludwig fan. I, I don't think on either side of the ball that, that Vanderbilt was as well coached as it needs to be last year. I think they've upgraded consistently. Cons- 
considerably on offense. So my point being that with a freshman quarterback, a new coordinator, some young skill position guys, that you could see some light at the end of the tunnel, something like a big transition year. But I'm afraid now with the issues on the offensive line, it's just going to be so difficult to make any kind of progress. And then you have the fact that you're playing a 10-game SEC schedule. You don't have any non-conference games to to kind of uh, to kind of work out the cobwebs and all that stuff. So it's going to be it's going to be difficult. I'm interested to see defensively if how much better they are. I think they will be better because I think they'll be better coached, and I think they'll um, you know obviously. The, the the talent is is better on that side of the ball and the experience is better on that side of the ball. But there's no there's no sugarcoating. This is gonna be a very, very difficult season for Vanderbilt. Yeah, and I'll try to find a little bit of a positive in here on the offensive side. I think that and the caveat for this is if they don't get their confidence just destroyed, which I think is a risk. And I think you've got new quarterbacks who are gonna have issues with protection. You know, you would hate to see a kid like Ken Seals, who I think is a very promising player for them, either get hurt or get his confidence destroyed from the situation. But you look and you say, okay, on the offensive line, they've lost one of their tackles in Jonathan Stewart. They've lost Bryce Bailey and Cole Clemens, who might have both started on the inside. Bailey's kind of a utility guy. I don't know where he would have plugged in, but I think that was a possibility that he maybe could have started at a guard or, or been a maybe that sixth guy who fills in wherever is needed, as they sometimes have. So you look at those guys, you say, okay, they're going to miss time. Do they come back next year and get that extra year of eligibility? Then all of a sudden you get a boost because you played guys like Ashmore and um, Braden Bapst, some kids like that who I think are going to play Almost by default now, you got a guy like Dan Dawkins who's going to get some more time inside, uh, those sorts of things. you got some, some freshmen and sophomores who are going to play more as a result of these decisions. Then all of a sudden you start adding guys back in who've been around the program four and five years. I think you have a chance to see the offensive line potentially get a boost in 2021 if it all plays out that way. I think your quarterbacks all get experience. Again, if confidence isn't shattered, I think that's a positive. You look at the running backs, all those kids will be back the next year. I think the entire tight end room will be back. You've got a lot of young freshmen and sophomores in that bunch. In receiver, I think they lose Chris Pierce, but I think most of the other kids are back. I can't remember with... Uh, Bostic and some of those guys where they are on the upperclassmen ladder. But point is, you get most of your offense back and you've got a chance to get some guys who were very experienced to come back next year if they choose to do that. Now, defense is a different story because you've got a bunch of senior starters. And although while you do have a lot of underclassmen backups who will play a lot, so I think that mitigates that somewhat. It does have a chance – in some ways to really help them out for 2021 on offense. Yeah, I, I agree. You make some good points there. And I'll, I'll go back and, you know, I don't never talk to Ken Seals. I don't know, you know, I've read about him. Seems like a pretty tough kid. Um, I go back to Jay Cutler's first year as a redshirt freshman starter. I remember that Bobby Johnson's first game, that Georgia Tech game, uh, was maybe one of the worst offensive performances I've seen. Just looked like a high school team going against a college team. And I don't even know how good that Georgia Tech team was that year. But Jay Cutler was a tough kid. He just kept fighting, and, and you know they weren't good that year. They got they got better on offense every year, and then by the time he was a senior, they had a really good offense. Now I don't Cutler was a better runner than I think Seals is, and they were able to do some things offensively with Cutler younger in his career to 
to kind of get the offense going. But my point being, if Seals is is you know the mentally tough and it's like like I think he is, we think he is, then maybe that's not an issue. I'm not. It's easy for me to sit here and say that. Oh, don't get your confidence destroyed. But uh, you're right. You make some good points there and um, about getting guys back too. Um, you know, with the eligibility, guys can come back. Maybe if you're Maybe that's a good thing for Vanderbilt. Go to grad school or get a second major. Go, you know, get six years in college or five years in college for some of these guys. So, yeah, I, I it's just it, it'll be interesting. And I'm just I'm kind of like disappointed in a way because I thought again with the new coordinator and and this offense had a chance to to show not be a not just to, to be considerably better than it was last year. And now it's going to be difficult. Let's go to the mailbag for a few questions if you've got a moment, Mitch. Sure. Our mailbag is sponsored by Vanderbilt fan Josh Minton, an independent insurance agent operating out of Brentwood. Josh can take care of all your insurance needs. Call him today at 615-933-1979. Email him at josh at hqinsurance.com. Follow him on Twitter at HQ or at facebook.com forward slash jdmintonhq. He is my insurance agent. Give him a try and tell him you heard about it on this podcast. Anna Arbador wants to know, is Mitch encouraged by Daniel Deermeyer's public comments regarding athletics? Um, yeah, sure. You know, um, he said all the right things. Um, you, that's what you'd expect him to say. Like, I, I believe he means them. You know, there's there's one thing about saying those and then, you know, what your actions will be. Um I was just trying to think, I was kind of half joking here, like, what would, what would a new chancellor say that would not get people, I mean, I guess you could like read between the lines and he could be saying the right things and him not really believing it, but um, every chancellor is going to pretty much say what he said. Now, I've heard some good things about him and all that, so that's, that's a positive, um, you know, so yes, I, I guess uh, I was encouraged, but actions to use a cliche, you know, actions mean a lot more more than words going forward. Uh, but if he believes in and is genuine with what he said, that's obviously a good thing. It's kind of like spring and fall football practice. I mean, coaches always say everything's great. These guys worked hard. This guy looked good today, whatever. it's. You're right. It's almost hard to screw it up. On the other hand, I will say, at least unlike his predecessor, Nick Zeppos, well, if you skip over Susan Wente, who was also the same way, you couldn't get them to say anything ever about it. So at least, I mean, the bar was on the floor. So there's that at least. Yeah. And I mean, he went, you know, went on the radio and, you know, and, and some things there, which was tough to do before. So, um, yeah. And, you know, he has, I heard some people when he got hired, it was like, Oh, this guy's from Germany. What does he know? Like you look at his resume and he even said it, he was at USC. I think, I don't know if he's undergrad or grad school or something like that. He was at Northwestern, you know, these I'm not again. I'm not saying it's going to be this radical change, but the the all of these guys they know they know what athletics how important athletics is. Now, will they act on it? Will things change? All that stuff. But it's not just because the guy maybe grew up in Germany that, that doesn't mean that he doesn't understand American athletics. Yeah, I don't think he's an idiot. And like you said, he's been at other campuses. I tend to file it away as mostly meaningless. I've, I've heard all kinds of stuff out of Annabelle over the years. The one thing too that does make me suspicious is they only play to friendly audiences. Like, he wouldn't talk to Tennessean. 
the athletic director won't talk to anybody on the record about much of anything. Um, they picked their spots. I, she's they, talked. She's talked to Joe Rexroad several. Times. Well, that's that's true, but but not a lot. Um, and she's not going to answer much in the way of of challenging questions. But my point is, they like Deermeyer in particular has picked his spots, and the one talking thing that he's done publicly was with Joe Fisher, not a knock on Joe, but he's employed by the school, and it was done on the radio station that's going to be their flagship now. So I think uh, if they want to remove a little bit of skepticism, I think they need to start talking to people who might have some tougher questions. Yeah, fair. But, yeah, I'm just trying to think. I don't know a lot of presidents who – Maybe that's I shouldn't even say because I don't know that I don't know that to be the case either way. How, how many school presidents talk to local media and all that stuff? So well, not a lot, but two things: a their situation is way different. They've got a a lot of stuff that needs to be addressed that doesn't need to be most places. Like most places, the things that schools need to compete are either done already or in progress, which has not been the case there for decades. Uh, and, and number two, you did see some of that out of Gordon Key. Yeah. I also say, you know who the biggest Gordon Gee fan was? Who's that? Gordon Gee. Well, yes, that's true. Yeah. But but you did <laughs> see Gordon progress still talks all the time. Yeah, I'm not, I, I like I like Gordon. I thought he was good for the school in the in the short time he was here. But uh, G- Gordon Gee was a big fan of Gordon Gee. Yeah, name a college chancellor who's not though. True. People get people get to that spot. Successful people, whether it's a head coach or president of a university, most of them have big egos. Colombiano Door says, what is your involvement now with Vanderbilt Athletics? Do you still plan on attending games? Uh, could you one day return in dramatic fashion? Well, first of all, I think the next thing that Mitch Light does in dramatic fashion might be the first, but I'll let you bite off the rest of the questions there. Well, I'm always ready. If Kevin Ingram goes down, gets injured in the game, I, I could come out of the tunnel like Willis Reed um, for the Knicks. I'm showing my age and, and, you know, come limping out and replace him. So now I have, uh, uh, other than that, I'm an alumni and my daughter goes to Vanderbilt, I have no uh, affiliation, uh, official affiliation with the school. Um, so, but I, you know, my, my job with the athletic is, is much busier on Saturdays. I have, we have season tickets that my wife and my son have always used when I've been the sideline reporter. I will, uh, obviously we don't know what the situation is this year, but in a normal year, I will probably still attend games when possible, um, and have basketball season tickets and baseball season tickets. So still go to the games, just will not be, uh, on the field this year or anytime in the future. That was actually a pretty good answer for dramatic fashion. The Willis Reed imagery there was, I think was very good. You could, um, you could make or a start. Maybe I could be, you want to be dramatic. How about the first game at halftime? And again, I know there's probably won't be because of the, uh, coronavirus, it won't be in-person or close-up interviews at halftime. What if Kevin's first game back at home, as he steps up to Coach Mason, I come running in and tackle Ingram, shove him to the side, and then perform the halftime interview? You could do the Tanya Harding thing, maybe. Yes. Or no, I'd have to have someone do it for me. Yes. Right, right. You, volunteers you could... want to take out Ingram. Uh, I'm going to stay out of that. Okay. Um. I don't think Kevin has a lot of enemies, so no, that might be tough. A, you know, maybe the nicest guy out there. Everyone says that, oh, he's the nicest guy. Kevin might be the nicest guy out there. He might be. We might be screwing up podcast opportunities here because I was going to have Kevin in my rotation too. And so uh, if he catches wind and we're trying to take him out on the podcast, it might not go well for me. 
That, that's a you problem, not a me problem. <laughs> that, that is true. Um, I'm thinking of other dramatic ways. You, would you employ like a fog machine or anything like that? That's not my personality. No, I don't think so. We could we could start rumors about your your comeback. I mean, there's all kinds of ways we could go with that. But yeah, um, no, I'll just stay behind the scenes. I'm happy. Let's see. Columbiano Door says, "Now that you're free to share things that now that you're not formally employed by Vanderbilt uh, about the current program and the way things are being run, give some strong opinions on our coaches, Mitch." Um, I don't know if anyone knows my personality, but I'm not a uh, hot take guy. I'm not. I'm not. Not the most critical guy. So it's not my. I'm not going to. Whether I'm employed by the university or not, I'm not going to. You know sit and rip anyone. I, the, the numbers are what they are. I like Derek Mason a lot. The numbers aren't what they need to be. And he knows that the school knows that, um, this year is going to be very difficult and different. And I, you know, for everyone involved. So I don't know if there's a number, but it's people who cover the finances of college athletics have, have said this more. There's not going to be a lot of coaching changes this year. Um, I, I think, um, so, you know, the, clearly needs to be, better uh, better product on the field now that being said they have gone to a bowl this staff Derek Mason has gone to a bowl game two times which and you know I know there's 12 games and there used to be 11 and if Bobby Johnson had a 12th game he probably would have gone to a bowl game several times so I guess my point my question would my, my answer would be going forward what he has done is not enough to keep his job like if the, if, if there was no pandemic and uh, the next three years look like the previous three years. I don't think he would still, you know, he would not last that long. Now, I don't know how all this changes, but, uh, I think he has done a good job shaking up his staff. I like both of the coordinator changes. I, I don't know if it was just the, I know he tried to go out and, and, and hire different coordinators last year, but I thought Vanderbilt was poorly coached on offense. I know the quarterback situation was not ideal, but you can't tell me that, they couldn't have coaxed more out of that group than they had, especially with the the the, the talent at running back and wide receiver and tight end. Um, so I, I know I'm kind of rambling here, but I'm not. You know, uh, I guess my answer would be it, it, it need, the product needs to be better. Mitch, thank you for your time today. I know you've got plenty of stuff to do as you get ready for the college football week. And tell folks where they can follow you on Twitter, what's coming up at The Athletic that they might want to read, anything else that you would like to promote, the floor is yours to do so. Oh, thanks, Chris. Uh, yeah, I'm at Twitter at Athlon. I'm not, not, I don't work at Athlon anymore. At Mitch Light. Um, and did a lot more writing for The Athletic. I, I hope to do some more. I did some when I was previous to being on the college football editorial team when I was the managing editor in Nashville and Tennessee. I did some more stuff. Uh, a lot of that was because I had time during the pandemic and did some of those historical pieces. You know, you can find that on The Athletic. And actually, if you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, we have a deal uh, celebrating getting our one million subscriber, our one million subscribers. It's a, only a dollar a month, which is a, an incredible deal. So if you want to go, I did the oral history on Worth Scott's home run, oral history on Shane Foster's 42 point. Senior night of Q&A with Corbin, which is kind of old. I did a story on that, uh, the illegal celebration. Uh, Earl Bennett play at Florida when I talked to uh, uh, um, Sean McDonough, the announcer who did the game. I talked to Earl Bennett. I talked to Bobby Johnson. So that, that was a fun story. Um, so you can find a lot of my stuff on The Athletic. And again, it's only a dollar a month to subscribe right now. Mitch, thank you so much for joining us. I'll probably take a couple-week break uh, with having you on the show just as we rest all our guests uh, before we dive into football because 
then once we get there, and assuming baseball yep. and basketball go off, uh, <laughs> there's a lot to cover between now and next summer. But uh, thank you for joining us. I look forward to having you as a normal part of our show, as we have done for years. You have been with us from the beginning. Your insight has been appreciated. It's been terrific. You've been a good friend. Uh, as much as we joke around, uh, I have a ton of respect for you and have really appreciated your contributions to this podcast. And I'm really excited and thrilled that you will be back with us for another year. No problem, Chris. You know, I enjoy it. Thanks, bud. All right. He's Mitch Light. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vanity Sports Podcast. We will be back again with more episodes next week.